Two years ago, my son Brennan got an Oculus, which is a virtual reality gaming system. He'd been wanting one of these for a long time, and on Christmas Day, he finally woke up and opened it up. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up playing the first gaming system out there. It was called the Atari, if you remember that. And you could play fun games like Pac-Man and Frogger and Pong, (laughs) okay? These are very simple type games, nothing too exciting, but uh, I was pretty good at Pac-Man, I must say. But things have come a long, long way from the Atari, Uh, We've moved into the life of Mario and Luigi and those brothers, and now we've even gotten into virtual reality. And so Brennan gets this virtual reality system, and you can purchase games on it and play all these different things, and it's pretty wild. You have this headset, and it just sits right on your head and covers your eyes. That's how it works. And then you see directly into what's going on in this mega screen in your face, and it looks like it's really real. So Brennan has all kinds of games on this, but there's one particular game that um, he had me play because this game focuses on your fears. And he knows that I'm afraid of two things, spiders and heights. And this game has both. And so he said, Dad, I want you to put this on your head. I'm going to set it up for you. And he did. And he said, "Um, we're going to face your fears today of heights. And so he puts it on me and I'm You know, I'm standing in my bonus room with nothing really around me, but all of a sudden I am launched into this virtual reality world. I'm in an elevator, and it takes me up to the top floor of a skyscraper. And on this skyscraper, there is a wooden plank, kind of like on a pirate ship that goes out. And he says, the goal of this game is that you have to walk out onto the plank and stand there. And then you step off. And so I'm seeing this stuff, and, and I know that this is a game. I know it's not real, but here I am, and I'm in this virtual reality world, and it seems real, and what I'm seeing looks real, and I see cars flying by on the street below, and I look down, and I'm shaking like a leaf, y'all. I'm not kidding. Like, I am scared, and so he's like, just step out, and so I take a step onto the plank, and literally my knees are like wobbly, And I take another step, and I get right to the edge of it. And he says, now, Dad, just step off. (laughs) I just stood there, and I said, I mean, I can't see him. I can hear him. And I said, you are crazy. I am not going anywhere. And I stood there for like two minutes. I didn't want to move because I literally was getting like off balance in this game. And so finally, I'm like, okay, this is a game. Like, you know, this isn't real. And so I finally took the plunge. Well, when I stepped off this thing, I started free falling, and it freaked me out. And I'm like yelling and screaming, and I literally fell right in the floor, like fell on my floor in the bonus room. By the way, that's not the first time that's ever happened playing any of those games that he has on his virtual reality gaming system. It was real. It seemed so real. Of all the gaming systems I've ever played, virtual reality takes the cake. But it's amazing to me how something that's not real, and we know that's not real, can trick us into thinking that it really is. You see, as we continue our sermon series today in Ephesians, I find that this is also true when it comes to our faith and our spiritual lives. 
And so before we jump into Paul's words today, I want us to go back to the Old Testament for just a moment and take a virtual reality moment through the life of Ezekiel and this vision that God gives him. Now, Ezekiel is one of God's many prophets, and if you read the Old Testament, there are a lot of prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, you can, there's a lot of them, and they're chosen by God to go to God's people and to tell the people what God has to say to them. And generally, it's, you're not living right, you need to repent, and if you do so, things will be great. You'll receive grace and forgiveness, but if you don't, there are consequences for that. That's what the prophets do. And the prophets generally don't like this job that God calls them to because nobody likes the messenger. Ezekiel is one of these, and he happens to be living at a time that is very pivotal in the history of Israel. Now, it's important for you to know that there used to be this one nation, Israel. They were one group, and they occupied this space, this land that we know of Israel, And then as kings rose up, eventually the kingdom split into two. So there was northern Israel, Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. And and Judah had Jerusalem where the temple of God was. So these tribes are divided up. And this is the time of Ezekiel, and things are going not really the way that God would have them go, because as kings would come and go, some were good, some were bad. If you read Chronicles, uh, you will find and discover some of this. So anyway, Ezekiel is preaching at a time when the life of Israel is kind of in flux, and God has a message to them, repent so that things may go well for you. But guess what? They're stubborn, and they don't. So God says, look, Israel to the north, if you don't repent, then you're going to be captured and taken into exile. And they didn't repent, and so the Assyrians came in and took Israel and ransacked their place and took them off to a foreign land. Now, Judah knew about this and saw that this had taken place, and Ezekiel's telling them, you need to repent, you need to repent. Guess what? They don't listen. And because of that, Babylon comes in, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he knocks down everything. He sets Israel on fire, Judah, the the temple is burned to the ground, everything that they know. And now the temple was really important. It's like coming to church. That was God's house that they built for God, burned to the ground. People were killed. People that were living were then taken to a foreign land called Babylon, there where they worshiped these pagan gods. And those people felt like they had been punished and exiled and, and basically cast off from God. This is the word that Ezekiel speaks to them during this time, a vision from God, this virtual reality moment. So for just a moment, I want you to put your oculus on, and I want you to hear these words. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley that was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. God puts this virtual reality moment into Ezekiel. And Ezekiel all of a sudden sees this valley that's essentially a graveyard. He sees nothing but the remains of what used to be living people lying around on the ground all throughout the valley. And it says that these bones bones are very dry, which means there's no bone marrow. There's no life left in them. 
It's a desolate and dreary and dreadful scene, and I can only imagine that it might have evoked fear in Ezekiel himself to see the remains of so many people lying lifeless. But God asked a very important question to Ezekiel. Can these bones live? Ezekiel knows that he can't answer that question. And so he turns it back to God and he says, Lord, only you alone can know the answer to this. He knows that only God could intervene and bring these bones back to life. And so then God gives him a directive. He says to him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you, and I'll cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then, then you will know that I am the Lord. Can you imagine experiencing this if you were Ezekiel? What is God trying to say? What is God doing here? It's such an odd experience. Why is God asking Ezekiel to prophesy to these dry bones? Well, it's because these dry bones are a metaphor for the spiritually dead. The dry bones represent the whole people of Israel those who find themselves now in exile, away from their homeland, away from God. They find themselves in the valley of the shadows, far from home, and feeling as if they are completely cut off from God. In fact, later God says to Ezekiel this, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. In their disobedience, they feel completely cut off from God, getting what they rightly deserve, punishment. But here's where the good news comes. You see, God's words to Ezekiel are not meant to leave Israel in the valley of dry bones. Rather, God's words to Ezekiel, to the people of Israel, Those words are going to resurrect a spiritually dead people. He's going to bring them from death to life. And those are good news. And when we transition to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul speaks almost the same words. He doesn't give the same image, but he speaks almost the same words from God. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, dry bones can be found in the Old Testament. According to Paul, they can be found in the New Testament, and truth be told, they can even be found here today. There are people who walk in the valley of the shadows of sin and death every single day, and both Ezekiel and Paul acknowledge the truth of our present reality, that there are so many people who feel spiritually dead and cut off from God, whether they've chosen that course of action or not. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
I mean, surely you do. There are many people throughout this pandemic whose spiritual lives are simply bone dry. Dry. Some refuse to acknowledge God at all, as if they live in this virtual reality world where God doesn't truly exist. There are others who acknowledge that God exists, but they blame God for everything that's going on in the world, as if God does nothing. Well, and there are others who have simply just disengaged. They've been people of faith for a long time. But they've completely disengaged in the life of church and their spiritual life. And, you know, Sundays have become something new because there's been no accountability when you worship from home. Pastor Jeff's not there to watch and to know if you showed up to church today or not. And this happened simply because we stopped gathering out of fear for one another. COVID has brought a sense of hopelessness and anxiety, fear, and really depression for lots of folks. And I have to tell you that the virus is not a punishment from God. God didn't create this to get us. But there are many who feel as if that has happened. And there are many who feel as if they're living in exile, completely cut off from God. And the truth is, even those of us who follow Jesus and try to do our best, we too can revert to the old ways of life, trying to mix sin with holiness, which is kind of like trying to mix oil and water together. If you've ever done that, they don't mix so well together. They separate. Spiritual dryness comes in various forms, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Can these bones live. Not without God's intervention, says Ezekiel and Paul. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God refuses to let sin and death have the last word. While God is good, the reality is there's evil also present in this world. And Paul implies that the world lives in the tension between good and evil, between God and Satan. Jesus was clear about this, too, in his own life and ministry. It was Jesus who was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the devil before he entered into his ministry. It is also Jesus who sought out others who were sick and who needed help. Jesus found people and encountered people who were, well, they were possessed by demons, and he cast them out of them to free them from that oppression. So the truth is, is that there really is evil in the world, and God has come to combat it. But the other truth is that Satan, who is the, really the personification of evil in Scripture, 
Satan tries to blind us to the realities of truth, presenting us with a virtual reality, so to speak. He wants us to think that we don't need God or that disobedience to God comes with no recourse. So he longs to hold us in captivity to prevent us from truly experiencing real life in Christ. But this is really why Jesus comes He comes because he knows that we're oppressed and because we're held captive by sin and death. And so he enters into our world and he takes on flesh. He takes on our bones and he becomes the perfect one who shows us the way of who God truly is. He is the face of God. He is God with skin on so that we can physically see God. And he shows us the way and the truth. And he himself is that life that has come, that light shining in the darkness to lead us to God. And in God's grace, Jesus seeks out the spiritually dead, lost in our transgressions, and he offers us resurrection life. You see, God refuses to leave us in exile, cut off from him. He refuses to leave us as dry bones with no hope. And we don't deserve it, really, but God gives us his gracious gift. In Christ's death and resurrection, we experience the ultimate grace of God who raises us up from the grip of sin and death and frees us to live in obedience to the Lord. Friends, I want you to know this is the good news of the gospel. That is what this song sings of, that we have been brought from death to life. And the truth is, it's not because we loved God that God came and did this for us. It's because God loved us so much that he came for us and sought us out and became an atoning sacrifice for our sins that you and I might be forgiven, that we might receive his gift of salvation. And God has given us this new way to live, not a life of selfishness that only seeks what makes me happy in the world at the expense of others most of the time, but a life of selflessness seeks to make God happy by sharing the story of our salvation so that others might know the God who brings us from death to life. I mean, isn't that what Paul says at the end of our text today? He says, we're God's handiwork, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, it's important here to know that our good works do not earn salvation for us, But they tell of the marvelous gift of grace and of God's salvation that we've experienced to everyone else. As we live in grateful response, our lives exude God's goodness. This new life, this transformative life. You see, resurrected life doesn't look back at the past and look at sin as if we're missing out on something that God's holding back on us by not letting us do whatever we want to do. It looks forward to the transformative work of God in our lives. What God does, like a potter who shapes clay, God is at work shaping and molding us into the image of His Son, Jesus. You see, resurrected life is the real thing. It's not a false sense of reality, but it's the reality that we were created to know and for. And it restores what sin once held captive and leads us into the everlasting way of Jesus. You see, friends, we have been brought from death to life because of God's great gift 
of grace and of mercy. And this isn't just some life that we sit here in this world and wait on until God calls us home to the sweet by and by. Eternal life is something that we will experience when we see God face to face. But when Jesus speaks of eternal life in the Gospels, he is also speaking of real life now. Now. That's why Jesus encountered people, and he healed them, and he, he, he spoke the word of the Lord to them, and they came to understand his grace and his love, and it changed them. It changed people like Matthew, the tax collector, and Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and many others that he encountered. It changed their lives. That is the work of God. As we gather together today, I have no idea where each of you are spiritually. But I do know this. God does. Maybe today you showed up church and you just feel like dry bones, no hope. It's possible that you've even fallen victim to Satan's lies to see a false sense of reality in the world. It's possible that you've created a new routine on Sundays. I'll call it bedside Presbyterian you name it, whatever. Maybe that's happened where you've gotten out of the habit of engaging in the life of the church, engaging in the life of God and of faith, and substituted it for something else. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but you find yourself reverting to old habits and ways that have no place in the Christian life, and you're trying to mix it all together. Regardless of where you find yourselves today, God has been and continues to be ready and present to breathe his breath of life into our dry bones. That's how creation began. God took man from the dust of the ground and formed him. And it says in Genesis 2 that God got really close and he breathed the ruach, the Hebrew word for breath, God's spirit into humanity, giving us life. And here in Ezekiel, we're reminded of this same breath that God breathes into these dry bones, giving them life. And it's the same breath of God, the Holy Spirit, in which God redeems and resurrects people who are spiritually dead, and He breathes His breath of life into us that we might experience real life. Some things never change. Because God never changes, but God changes us. Can these dry bones live? You bet they can. And when I'm talking about living, I'm not talking about merely surviving. I'm talking with God thriving. Thriving. Because God's gift of salvation, his gift of grace, and his gift of mercy meets us right where we are, wherever we find ourselves. It says, look, I'm willing to move you into a transformative life that I have created you for. And when you and I are awakened to this true sense of reality, of this salvation by grace through faith that we haven't earned, we will know the truth as God tells Ezekiel, he says, I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You will know. Because God has done it. 
You see, all we have to do is welcome God's resurrection life into our lives. Asking God to free us from anything that holds us captive from truly experiencing His real life now. Because the truth is, is that God can resurrect anything. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And if we're willing to do so, we will experience this wonderful gift of grace and freedom that comes only from the Lord who created us to know Him and to make Him known in this world. So my prayer for us today is that we would open our hearts and open our eyes to the God who surrounds us, the God who is always present and waiting for us to let Him in, that we might receive His grace so that our dry bones might live by the grace of God's Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us and transforms us and molds us and shapes us day by day as we seek His life. Friends, that's my prayer for us. Whether you're here today or whether you're at home and you've tuned in, or maybe if you watch this a week from now because you've gotten out of a habit, prayer is that together we would say, Lord, I want these dry bones to live. Breathe into me the breath of life. Resurrect me. Resurrect my faith. And not only that, help me to experience it and to know it that I might share it so that others might experience it too. Friends, may we do so this day, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.